looks like like you need a thirty or sixty hanging behind you with a with a, like a pair of deer antlers and like a nineteen eighty six F one fifty pickup with like the back tray just full of empty bottles of Jack Daniels. I could be super into an eighty six F fifty. You do look like the good old boy who made the plan, though. It is. <laughs> <laughs> You're not just following somebody else's plan. Would have gotten away with it, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mud, Mudcat, I, I widely shared the the video of the nappy changing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, me. <laughs> Child full of rage. <laughs> nope, that's the one. Liam did it. With <laughs> a fierceness. And it was, it was like, it had a little knuckle out and everything. It's like, I'm going to punch you in the fucking throat. He is so close. If, if I had, if I had you know, gross motor control. Yeah, no, he is so close to, to flipping people off. Like, he just rolls out <laughs> like this all the time. <laughs> Well, I think it's a great a great testament to to Maggie genetics that he didn't come out flipping people off, and it took him a couple of days. Right. <laughs> so I thought, well, that that thing would be consistent with the parents. It's like turning up on time. That was a surprise. Um, yeah. hey. Oh, oh, hey! <laughs> and welcome everybody to the modern day. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Are you preferring Mud Daddy to Tiger King or uh, Cat Daddy? Thank you, Cat Daddy. Cat Daddy. It's Cat Daddy. That's what they meant. Cat daddy, cat daddy in the cat house. Whoop whoop. Did anyone else read that article in the New York Times about the socially the strip clubs reopening with social distancing? And it had the the pictures like all the pole dancers wearing wearing masks, wearing the surgical masks. I, I can't really remember the article. I just laughed at the pictures. Uh, but um, so so like that's that's an adaptable industry. And I have yet to go on and like search for N95 porn, but I'm sure it's a new genre. Right. There's still no touching. <laughs> exactly. There's still no touching. <laughs> we're, we're, we're serious this time. <laughs> the weird thing about now being able to see each other, now that we can see each other, I can't just go look up N95 porn while we're talking. So. <laughs> <laughs> for research. Right. Research. We, we, we need your attention here, Wes. <laughs> Breathe for me, baby. Breathe. Um. <laughs> I can't tell if this is a good segue or a bad segue to today's topic, which is religion. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly a different lead-in to the topic. Right? <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Modern Dandy's Guide to Manliness. Thank you for joining the conversation, listener. We've got Mud Cat, a.k.a. Cat Daddy, in case some of that early edit didn't get through <laughs> congratulations <laughs> we've got josh and liam and myself yeah we were trying to decide some topics and and try to get away from just repeating how we're stuck inside all the time and just break out into other other things that are of interest and i know that everyone here has some let's say strong to very strong opinions on religion. And we've never really talked about it directly. It's always worked its way into, into our conversations. But we thought that uh, while, while we're all going through this, <laughs> maybe anyone's opinion has changed or gotten even more strong. But let's, let's get into it. I think it's always a divisive topic. So it's certainly controversial. And, and listener, I hope that, that you'll stick through and just hear what we have to say. And if you disagree, Send us a note. Tell us why. We're interested to hear from you as well as we go through. Liam, I think out of all of us, it's either you or Mudcat, I think, that has like the strongest. And I don't know where that lies. First, starting off, who, who, do you think that it's you or Mudcat or maybe Josh that has the strongest views on religion in general? This is what I'm curious about. What's our baseline before we even start? I think time will tell. Uh, I, I have a feeling that it, it may be Mudcat. 2,500 years isn't enough for you. <laughs> well, depending what you mean by religion and belief systems, um, uh, I was going to say, I was, was going to throw that one to, to Mudcat because, I, I mean, I grew up with some religion, 
you know, my, my mother was Irish Catholic. My father was New Zealander, was Scottish Protestant. My sisters went to Catholic school. Uh, they didn't try and put religion on me, which is pretty sensible. Um, although I did spend many years at a Quaker school, which I think I've mentioned before, which I, I very much enjoyed and yeah, respected the, the Quaker belief system. Uh, not enough to stop me joining the army. Isn't that like the first thing? The first thing. Yeah, but you know, much as I much as I, I appreciate the, the the Quaker ethos of honesty, integrity, your word being your word, and and you know, looking after your community and balancing the sense of identity of, of personal identity with with the needs of the people around you, which I think is a, is a fundamentally a very good message. Um, the whole kind of pacifism thing didn't really gel up with what I was seeing in the world, and so I went. You can believe that happily believe that happily support that. You know, appreciate everything that the school did for me. Uh, but at some point, there are going to be a bunch of assholes out there that the only thing they're going to respect is, is being on the wrong end of a bullet. And, uh, and, and so that and having grown up with something I've told the story before, uh, you know, the lovely old Jewish couple up the street with the tattoos on their forearms and the story of being separated and imprisoned in concentration camps during the Second World War and then liberated went back to their hometown and arrived within a week of each other and had never been separated since. And they were just such a lovely couple. I went, that should never happen again. And, and you know, a fundamental thing of Nazism was Gott mit uns, you know, God is with us. And, and the perversion of various forms of Christianity into the national socialist Nazi belief system now, always this made me sort of question, you know, what was the general motivation and acceptance for people to wholeheartedly believe in a religion and believe in a God that would allow things like that? Good baseline. Good baseline. Mudcat, I got to know, where is your stance and your, your entry into this topic? So I know people of faith who have found comfort, who have had their faith be a positive thing in their life that has brought grace into the world. I've known two pastors and uh, the student in Kentucky who were really endowed with, with grace and power through their faith. Uh, it is a thing that those people have used to go through the world and to make the world a better place and to be comfortable and be centered in themselves. That is not the dose that I got. I understand that it can be good. I, I know I got the rural Mississippi version of it. And I don't think I was 12 or 14 before, like, I knew that I was out. Like, they continued to force me to go. But, you know, I, I never found a place in it. There's an intellectual part of that. And then there's the emotional part of that. And I'll just start with the facts. Every female friend that I had when I lived in rural Mississippi, every one of them that confided in me that somebody had hurt them. It was a deacon. It was a member of their church. It was a pastor. When, you know, I've had, family members go through, you know, various relationships, traumas, divorces, etc. The number of times that pastors have blamed women for abuse is uncountable. I have known it to be nothing other than a human institution of corruption. And yeah, when you say, I know what God thinks and I know what your maker, the maker of the universe, knows. I know what he thinks and how he feels about you. And let me tell you what he would say about your decisions and about the things that happen to you. And they use that power to make people feel small. And so I've never gotten past the human part of it. And that's the, the emotional part vulnerable people who needed things finding nothing but manipulation and, and self-seeking. I got nothing for it, nothing for it. And so there's that part, right? Like once you, once you wrap that sort of humanity around it and you set your heart against those people, it doesn't matter what the word was. And then I have issues with the word, um, the intellectual part of this 
like Liam said, everybody who's ever gone to war thought God was on their side. Half of them lost. Uh, your interpretations were a bit <laughs> problematic, right? You know, it's, it's the George Carlin line. Uh, I pray to Joe Pesci. You know, when I tell Joe Pesci that my problems, half the time he has solutions. It's about the same, but I get to hang out with Joe Pesci. Randomness, variance. There's, there's no, there's no sense of causality attached to prayer. So, well, yeah, then maybe don't waste your time. I feel like when we talk about big social problems, and this is probably a very American centric, like American political consultant centric view. When we talk about big problems, global warming, when we talk about inequality, when we talk about poverty, when we talk about, you know, the real blights on the land, it is such an easy out to say God will take care of it or God will take care of me. Meaning I may not, I won't have any other consequences, but you fuckers, who cares? I feel like the evidence for God is, is so diminished. If this started as a way to understand the world, to, to tell a story, to, to make sense of the world and to, to find some comfort and understanding, science has given us so much more. We know about the Big Bang. We know about relativity. We know about how space was constructed, right? Like there's a lot of stuff we know. Gravity's still real confusing, but there's a lot of stuff we know. And the space in which God controls things or God made things or God did things gets smaller every day. The space in which God can exist diminishes every day. And we have cell phones. We have cameras. Everybody has a camera. Everybody's recording things all the time and nobody's seen Jesus come back. It's not on YouTube. <laughs> Somebody said for you know, 2000 years, like this, this dude's going to show up any day. No, he hasn't. We would have a video. And just in the overwhelming absence of evidence to say to yourself, oh, I believe in this. This is where I'm going to put my trust. This is the causality. This is the original engine. To say that is just a terrible lie to yourself. Once you've lied to yourself, once you've told yourself the big lie, you believe every other lie after. You've intentionally made yourself stupid. So the intellectual underpinnings of it, the, the experiential underpinnings of it, I just got a bad dose, right? Like I'm sure there are people out there who say who, who can reconcile a modern progressive life, who can reconcile, you know, modernity in the abstract with stories people told each other in the bronze age. There are people out there who can do that. I'm not one of them. Josh, you're the only human being I know who can follow that up. Incredibly well said, Mudcat. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for the show. Now, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> I got nothing else. That's, that's exceptionally well put. I throw it to you, Josh. Just what is your upbringing with religion? How does that play into your life? Kind of what's your, what's your starting point? Yeah. And I didn't show up today thinking I was going to be the guy like rooting for religion. But um, <laughs> by comparison, certainly. I mean, the um, beard says differently. <laughs> right. Well, and it's funny because what, what, the quote that I thought was uh, from Pope Francis, but it doesn't seem to be. I don't do the God is an old man with a beard sitting on a throne watching everything we do. And, and he knows when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake. I'm Jewish. I confuse God and Santa Claus. I don't know. What, what do you want? But I do think that actually that, that coming from that different perspective and, and you know, listening to Mudcat talk about, you know, sort of getting the, the rural Mississippi dose of Christianity. I got the suburban Boston dose of Judaism it, it, it's a different experience altogether, but I don't necessarily think we should be looking at religion as a way to explain the natural world around us. I think Mike, that's right. We, we have science, we have all those things. I look at, at religion and this is definitely much more, I think a Jewish perspective. I look at religion as a way to build community, build networks, build support systems um, to have a community to rely on who share some baseline beliefs 
in that context, like I really like religion. I hate zealots. And that that's where that's where it goes. Or people who use religion as the basis for their sort of craven wants, right? Mm. To say, you know, well, you know, if you don't do this thing that benefits me, you know, it's an affront to God. That's not what religion's supposed to be. That, that, that yeah, is and there's, there's something about that if I remember in the Torah. Um just say <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or or the the Old Testament as some people like to call it. Yes. Um it's my accent. Um, yes, yeah. we, we can get onto Iran as an example later of, of, of corruptions of religions, but moving on. And actually, it would be interesting to see, you know, we, we don't have a Muslim dandy right now. Um, but that, that would be interesting because, I mean, I've always looked at the way it is still sort of anchored in that, that Christian, they're a bunch of savages kind of place. But the stories aren't that different. Mm-hmm. You know, when I talk about sort of having a common basis for, for our, our human experience, the sacred texts, at least for Judaism, Islam, Christianity, they all start in the same place. And maybe we got some different names and that kind of thing. But what I see is you know, there, there are people that take their version of scripture, their, their word of God, and, and stick to it in the more traditional sense. And there are people that like to make it fit their worldview. And that's where I have, I have a problem. If you look at religion as like, these are a set of guidelines. These are a set of you know social contracts. These are a set of things that we can use to have a healthy society. I got no problem with that. And you, know, you can have your religion and I'll have mine and, and, and different things. When it's used to coerce, manipulate, oppress, harm, oppress, kill, all those things. Zealotry, let, let's all just agree that zealotry is, is where the problem happens and also, but, and, and manipulation, which I think is, is an offshoot of it. My cat talking about how it was always, a, you know, people talking about it was always a, a deacon or, or, or a pastor or minister that was causing problems with the women who were being hurt. That's using religion as coercion. Mm-hmm. That that's not what this is supposed to be. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, you know, be good to each other, right? Like, <laughs> Once again, we're back to Bill and Ted. Yeah. Right. To me, that's what religion should be reminding you is to be, to be excellent to each other. I take a lot of comfort in my religion, which is not to say that I'm religious. It, it is to me, it is, it is the traditions and, and the community and the oral history that's been handed down. But that's, you know, that's not everyone's experience and it's not every religion's experience. Uh, and it's something that you, you said early on. When I think about it, I think about it in terms of beliefs religions and churches. And to me, those things are related, but often very different in how they act and and behave. Like a belief system and particularly a shared belief system is often a positive thing. You know, as you say, it, it creates a social contract between people about how you're going to behave with the people like you and with the people who are different from you. And many of the religions do preach tolerance, understanding, and respect. And and that is to say, this is my belief, and that doesn't mean that my belief is superior to your belief. When you start to get into religions, it's like going, well, you believe in many gods and we believe in one god, and you know my god is better than your god. And then you get a church that goes, and my interpretation of our god is superior to your interpretation of your god. That gets into power, oppression, and the imposition of one person's views and values on someone else. And it's that latter thing that, to me, I can't accept. And again, like Mudcat, I know people who have churches and the churches do wonderful social things and they are, they are not judgmental. Uh, and I have friends of all sorts of different faiths and backgrounds, many of whom, like you, Josh, have taken, I think, the fundamental tenets of the belief system that they grew up in and brought it into the modern world and uh, are good people. And it gives them a, a framework that matches the world rather than the framework that opposes the world. And I think that's, you know, to Mudcat's point is, is that I where religion prevents you 
or your church prevents you from making a decision on your own, you are making a, a choice to be stupid. You are making a choice, whether you like it or not, to take the first steps down what's fundamentally, it's probably a strong statement, a path towards evil. If evil is the antithesis of generosity, acceptance, support, and really fair social, treating human beings like human. Because one of the things that happens way too often is the is the demonization of someone who doesn't be- believe exactly the same thing as your individual church, and then saying that those people are unbelievers, and because they're unbelievers, they are really no longer human. And, and that is 90% of the way towards violence. I mean, there's an important distinction too. We all sort of make this assumption as a societal assumption. I wouldn't say we all make this assumption because I think it's pretty clear that we don't, uh, that being a religious person makes you a good person, right? Mm. You know, I'm a man of God, therefore you can trust me. I assume the opposite. Right. We, we've seen time <laughs> and time again, it's just not the case, right? I mean, not not to beat up on the, on the Catholic Church, but like what well, we've all seen Spotlight, right? Like mm. th- th- there's a lot of bad, bad people who were, were, you know, our, our clergy and, and even, you know, here in, in Philly and my, my you know, ex-wife synagogue, they do great work in the community. They're, they're a great community. They also had a rabbi who put a contract hit on his wife. That's not a good person. I don't think that, that, that had nothing to do with his religion. He was just like a bad dude. Yeah. But when people justify that by, by saying, look, here is a passage from the Old Testament. where ain't, ain't nobody justified that one. <laughs> <laughs> God sent down an angel with a flaming sword to smite. So I hired a contractor with a flaming sword to smite her, which because I'm a man of God, uh, I'm just going tenuously humorous there. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's always a... It's a tricky area to, to comment about. You know, we've got... Contract uh, killers? Uh, no. <laughs> the morality of contract killers. Pretty well <laughs> Not in dispute. What's the ROI? What's the... <laughs> okay, so, so so let's go back. So this was a fun one. Uh, and, and one of the things, when I was at university, I used to have the occasional coffee and, and debate with the... Uh, the university chaplain who was a Jesuit, uh, which was, which is good because the Jesuits like arguing. And, and so we'd have these wonderful discussions and uh, one of them prepared me really well for the army because like one of the commonly misheld interpretations of the Bible, because the Bible was originally written in Aramaic and we can go back to talk about how that was interpreted from the very first principles. But, but, you know, many people think that the, that the, in the Bible, one of those great testaments was, was, uh, you know, thou shalt not kill, which makes absolutely no sense. It is not thou shalt not kill. It's thou shalt not commit murder. It's just that the term in Aramaic for kill and murder are basically the same word. It's about context. So when it was translated, it's King James Bible, they went, oh, thou shalt not kill, which is silly because there's killing throughout the Bible, killing everywhere, lots of religious people killing lots of other people, just like killing. It's a story. I mean, it, it, it's made, it's like Grimm's fairy tales with a cross. You know, the, so the thou shalt not commit murder is a far more powerful statement uh, than thou shalt not kill. This is like, oh, thou shalt not kill. I shouldn't kill a bug. You know, I, I shouldn't kill to defend my family. I shouldn't kill someone who is, who is trying to destroy a city. You know, I, it doesn't make any sense. But thou shalt not commit murder is very different. And, and I think it's if you're fed one thing and it, it jars into the mudcat's point, and if you just accept it, then, and then you start caveating it, thou shalt not kill unless it's someone who doesn't go to my church or unless I think they're lizard people, you know, which is where I think the lizard people start to come into this is like, well, they're not really humans. Therefore it's not really killing, you know, or they're subhuman. You're into a whole different thing. When you're into thou shalt not commit murder, you are saying thou shalt not essentially premeditate the death of another. That is something I think that is much harder to negotiate around. Mudcat, you're thinking. I can see you thinking. So, uh, where Josh is from, you have different religions, right? Like, there is a mosque, there is a synagogue, there are churches. And where I'm from, there's we say there's lots of religions. There's one religion, right? Like, we have the fundamentalist Southern Christianity. 
of which we have like 127 flavors. It's worse than the goddamn Baskin Robbins. You you can be you know Missionary Baptist, Southern Baptist, United Baptist. Uh, you know you can be United Methodist, Divided Methodist, Independent Methodist, and you know, but they're it's they all use the same book, right? Mm. And I can get behind the idea there is a solvable problem. Something started physics. Let's say God started physics, right? That is the, like, there has to be an orientation, right? So I can get down with something started physics. Let's call it God. How you get from there to whether or not you are immersed in water or sprinkled with water to cleanse you of your sins determines whether or not you go to heaven or hell. I don't know how you get to that level of specificity. I don't know how the interpretation goes that far down the rabbit hole. It's like taking the words of a badly translated book literally, which is essentially what they're doing. It's what they did. So we've all dealt with modern translations, right? Like they're, you know, books that were translated from French that we read in high school. If you got the penguin version that I got that they had at the library, you got a different interpretation than you if you use the Doonesbury version or whatever the fucking other publishing company was. Doonesbury would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> French literature brought to you by Gary Trudeau. Um, <laughs> the, hey, might be a sponsor. Um, the troubles of translation seem like they would render all of this mute from the beginning, mm. right? Like at some point you'd have a moment as a culture where you went, wait a minute. They spoke Aramaic and Hebrew and a little bit of Greek, a little bit of Latin. Mm-hmm. And we carried that forward on the Greek and Latin and then into Germ- a pre-Germanic English or a pre-English Germanic languages. And then into English, and you just, what? Yeah, here's my favorite, which is that, again, when you look in, into Aramaic, the words for for time period uh, are basically indistinguishable. So the same word, based on its context, is used for day, month, week, year, epoch, era. So if you, if you take the whole creation thing and go haven't been quarantined for 64 days i understand how that happened yes and exactly and like things happened in big increments and it depended on the context so some people would understand from the context that what you were talking about a season so you didn't plant crops in a day you planted crops for a season and therefore if you if you take a little step back and go well in the first epoch you know there was a big flash of light oh what like a big bang and then, then there was the formation of the rocks and, and then like plants and animals came up and then blah, blah, blah. And then finally you, you get to humans. Kind of sounds like evolution if you, take, if you take out the literal interpretation of day and take it back to going in time period, in epoch, in, in era. And that goes throughout, like all the numerologists that go through, this is like 666 not being the number of the beast. That was my favorite where they went back and they said, oh, they've actually made a mathematical mistake back in the 17th century. It's actually like 937. So all of those people that were, were like going, oh, 666, the number of the, of the beast, you know, but my baby's got 937 birthmark in his head. He's fine. It just just checking, has, has, has Mudkit got a, like... He does not. There's a, there's, there's a, a slight bruise on the, the back of his head from, you know, forced entry. But other than that, no. Incoming! No um, noticeable markings or tattoos. Uh, and, Very and so, difficult to describe to police. <laughs> Particularly when he's got the mask on. So when you, as you say, when it goes to those hands, like the, the, all that different translations and interpretation, and then the imposition of the introduction of religious doctrine and standing religious doctrine to make sure that the book complied with whatever the governing principles of the church, which was a giant enterprise, for want of a better word, it just makes no sense to regard it as 
like an absolute truth and a literal translation. And, and we were, we were always taught not to. I remember my first days of, of you know Hebrew school and Sunday school, whatever it was like. Yes, on the seventh day, God rested, and all. That, but like, it wasn't a day. You know, we don't know what the time period was, but like, it wasn't a day. It was not. He was. He wasn't punching in at nine, clocking out at five, and taking an hour for lunch. Like that's that's not what that's not what people think this was. Right, and, and then I found out about, about guys like Mike Huckabee, who are like, no, the world's twenty five hundred years old because the Bible says like this person begat this person begat this person, and Jesus was riding a dinosaur. Like wh- what? But it's easy. And I think that's the thing is that like when you go back and and you look at religions and religions as a metaphor, you go back to the older religions, you go back to paganism and polytheism and so forth, you know, the the complexity was designed to in some ways make sense of the world, in some ways say, oh, yeah, there's these wonderful creatures that are controlling things, which we know better than now. But it was also allegories. And people needed stories that they could refer to and understand. They were very good at metaphor. A lot of, uh, you know, well, things like the fables and so forth are, are memorable. I mentioned Grimm's fairy tales. They're memorable because they're metaphors. So the collection of metaphors is simply a really good way of creating stories that people, particularly children and people being introduced into a society, can understand. And they're not meant to be taken literally. You know, Stumpelpeter is, is not really going to come and chop your thumbs off. If you've read any German folk tales, you know what I'm talking about. They're absolutely freaking terrifying and involve a lot of mutilation of children. So I can stop sleeping with the metal gauntlets? <laughs> William just said, hey, where are all my German folktale readers at? Give me a holler. <laughs> that is a thing that just happened. <laughs> I don't know how broad you think our audience is. Email <laughs> us at themoderndandy.life. I know Matthias is now going to go find these these uh, he, uh, books. He, he knows exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about because they're still published. And and uh, and, and I mean, my sister was saying when I was like going to Germany uh, when I was still working um, in Europe, and, and she was just like going, "If you're going to Germany, could you see you could pick up some of those children's books because I've lost our set." And they're, and they're wonderful. Is it what all the ones with like people having their thumbs chopped off and being put in oven, children being put in ovens and roasted and stuff like that because they were naughty. So I'm sure he grew up on the same thing, which is why he's such a, a well-balanced young man. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and the same thing is like, I, I mean, I, from my, my mother's Irish and, and I, I, I grew up with a lot of Irish classical Irish literature going back 1500 or so years because one of my uh, great uncles actually wrote down a lot of the old tales and, and, and got a lot of them published. And they, they are similarly interesting because it goes right back to pre-Christianity and then they get morphed a little bit to fit in with a Christian framework. But basically they went, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take the Christian thing because otherwise you're going to put us to death. But now overall we're not going to stop believing and carrying on a lot of these myths and folk tales. And they're equally fascinating in terms of being an insight into how you tell a story whereby, you know, this person thought they were really clever and uh, they stole from or they betrayed or they did this and that, and then a really bad thing happened to them. It's like, uh, I think, the, the, the ancient sort of Celtic version of Roadrunner, where, you know, wily e. Coyote always comes to a, a, a sticky end, no matter how complex and sophisticated his plan. Um, although, of course, the people that really profit out of that are Acme Manufacturing, uh, making all of the things that, that Wiley Coyote had to buy. And, and so that made it inherently American. Don't make podcasts, make podcast mics. <laughs> <laughs> Acme was not a company. It was just a prototyping shop. They had one customer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one poor bastard. Coyote, you got to come by. We just got this giant rocket that you can strap to your back while you wear skates. Go on. <laughs> they never made any of those things twice. No. Well, I think one of the things about a lot of those older cartoons, including uh, Felix the Cat and, and Roadrunner and so forth, was that the people or, or the, the characters conducting the violence were the ones that came to a sticky end. Whereas you get into the 80s and it's the people perpetuating the violence that are the good guys. And there was a big shift 
in cartoons from them being much more positive in terms of proposing a stronger social contract and social behaviour to morphing to like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, using violence as a a justifiable means to a often pretty vague end or, or self-oriented end. Yeah, Joe. No fucking point. No fucking point. Just violence. Soldiers can kill people. It's fucking great. They don't have to have a point. It's because we stopped having God in our lives. Or that was their interpretation of, of, well, how to sell them because it was popular. And then we get to the prosperity gospel. But so uh, my dad's super excited on this one. So I'm going to let him go. (laughs) My real life, like the bag of meat that I'm still in, I was in a church in rural, rural Mississippi in which I heard a man in a suit who had driven from Memphis to say it, say, if you want a Ferrari, God's going to get you a Ferrari. If your version of heaven is spending all day at the shopping mall, God wants you to spend all day at the shopping mall. They ain't never been a Ferrari in the place I'm talking about. It's 400 miles to a goddamn dealership. How, how did that man get up in the morning, put clothes on, drive his own freaking car to this place to tell those people that? Was this car a Ferrari? If he could afford a Ferrari, you think he'd be getting up early to drive to talk to these people? He probably drove the rolls because it's comfortable over a longer distance. Oh, Better tires. Yeah, I mean, well, this is the problem with Ferrari, right? Like you pay $250,000 car you drive 12 miles a year yeah the the, the principles of, of religion and the fundamental tenets and, and the personal behaviors and the social contract and then there's the corruption of religion and i just think the prosperity gospel is the most obvious corruption of everything that's fundamentally christian how you can read the bible and, and take away from it oh you know when god says that you will be wealthy he means material wealth, and that if you are not wealthy, that means you have sinned before God. Therefore, poor people are less godly than rich people, and therefore rich people have had the favor of God. Is like the ultimate corruption of the Bible. If you genuinely believe that, you've never read the Bible. How in Christ can people get up once a week and give 10% of their income to a dude who drives a nicer car than them? I see what you did there. Never figured it out. And again, tithing goes back a long way, but tithing basically meant that the church distributed it equally. It was redistributive to the broader community. That was the purpose of the tithe. There was no one else to provide for everything that the community needed. So the church did some redistribution. And most uh, political systems and cultures throughout history have been redistributive in one form or another. I mean, up until very, very recent times, as in like the last four or 500 years. And... I've actually just been doing a whole bunch of, of uh, reading of, of the Mesopotamiac and Aramaic societies, so the, the um, Assyrians and Syrians and, and those kind of things, just because I got bored on meetings. This this idea, though, that, I mean, and it's, it's like, you can see who favours it, the rich people who make money off poor people. It is the ultimate con job, and the churches are in on the con job, which is because most of them, they ain't starving. They are taking money from the poor and giving it to the rich and saying that's because the rich deserve it under God. If that's not the greatest corruption of the Bible, of the New Testament, I really don't know what is. And I do not know why people put up with it and why people believe it. And I think to to your point, Mudcat, once you swallow the first big lie, the other lies taste sweeter. So, Liam, what are some negative aspects, though? (laughs) (laughs) I almost thought I had you on a spit take there. Uh, that would have been awesome. Our, our, our first official spit take. This is the downside of having the camera is that he got me right. <laughs> I, I was going to jump in here just because, um, you know, Wes, you've gotten to be pretty quiet here um, <laughs> as, as the rest of us sort of argue this out. But, you know, what's sort of your religious upbringing and, and what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I'm, well, thank you for asking. I looked down at the show notes and uh, it says, Liam, you're a living God. So what's it like to be worshipped by millions? <laughs> I, 
I think about this from a, a different perspective. So each of you have had a religious upbringing and I have not. I'm from Northern California. My father, I think, had a more similar upbringing to you where there was religion in the home. He had a distaste for it. And so that was completely vacant. I struggle with remembering the difference between agnostic and atheist. Uh, can someone help me out with that? What's what's the difference again? An atheist says God doesn't exist. An agnostic okay. says, if God exists, I don't give a damn. Right. Okay. So it would be more atheist then. And I grew up in a home where conversations like this would happen between my father, his father, and like just other random people. Uh, and they would be talking about essentially the same thing at its best. The Bible is a great story that can impart some general principles on how to be nice to each other. Uh, at its worst, it's everything we're talking about here. It's, it's a tool used to manipulate others. What I saw as a negative only very recently to this upbringing was uh, similar to something that Liam and I had talked about at some random day drinking by the pool, which was not having an ethos and the dangers of that. And I recognize that I, I grew up with a very flimsy, practically non-existent belief system. So the absence of religion allowed me to question everything, question authority, question the teachers, question the lesson plans, and really learn it for myself. And that was a huge benefit, I think. Uh, a negative aspect that I'm only now realizing is that we really had a, a void. So I wanted to ask, you know, do you need to have a God to have a religion or, or where's that, where's that line that falls between that thing you were saying earlier, Liam, where you say you have a belief system, but then that's going to turn into a religion at some point. Where's that line? Do we think, because we're talking about storytelling. I grew up on TV and movies. My entire belief system comes from Keanu Reeves saying, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I was so super into that. Right. Like I was imagining like, you know what? You could totally like have a rich and full life with a, a, a code that was just extrapolated entirely from the West Wing. Right. Like I was, and, but then you, you, you put the specific medium in there, like the actual title and the whole thing just went south on me. this is so mark mason's new book which is called everything is fucked a book about hope this is really the premise of the of the book and it is that like we all have our religions because we all have our our value system and you need some you'd have faith in something in order for there to be hope and he said you know all religions have you know some sort of faith-based god value and it could be that you know hard work will let me provide for my family. And if that is the core of your, your belief, that, that, that becomes your religion. So it's, it's not about the book or the church or the matrix. It it is very, it's, you know, what is fundamental to your, your essence, your, your core beliefs, and how do you act upon that in in the world to to make that come around? What, What do you have faith in so that you can have hope for a better life if you do X? And that that's what he says religion is much more than it is about, which sect of people who read this particular book you are. And and I agree with that. I think the, and we hear it from, we mentioned Mike Huckabee, the Mike Huckabees of the world and others are saying that if you don't believe in Christianity, if you don't go to church, you are a bad person and you will rape and murder because religion gives you like makes you a good person. And therefore, if you don't have religion, that makes you a bad person which is the most incredible bullshit. It is the second great lie to go with Mudcat's original premise, which is if you have to go to church to stop raping and murdering people, you've got bigger fucking problems. And if that's how you think, if you think is that I have to go to church because otherwise, you know, I'm just going to shoot my neighbor. 50,000 years of human history, numerous, even recent, studies actually go that the majority of humans fundamentally understand the need for us to work together, to collaborate, to respect. And there's a very few that are individualistic rapists and murderers. And there's a really good historic reason for that, because those people would undermine the fundamental fabric of 
the community, the tribe, the hunter-gatherer group, whatever it is. So when you encounter those people, you tend to deal with them fairly harshly. And you, we are a collaborative, community-based species. And where the churches reinforce that, and where they reinforce respect and trust, and when you read the Quran, there is a whole lot in there about how to treat strangers. There is how to the respect that you show to strangers. If someone throws you at their mercy, you are to, are to show mercy to them and things like this, which there is a whole bunch of people who have decided that they don't want to follow that anymore. And so, you know, they will go and blow up somebody else's mosque. And if you don't know the numbers, you will see that more Muslims have been killed by Muslim terrorists than have than they've killed non-Muslims by orders of magnitude. And, uh, and, and, you, and, and the same with Christian terrorists. They tend to kill Christians and other Christians or, or other people of, of, a, of a related or similar faith uh, based on some corrupt interpretation. Well, it's that non-believers should be punished less harshly than those who have been unfaithful to their faith. And there is that as well, yeah. So the, the view that, that you have to have religion to be a good person and that religion somehow gives you a ethical framework that makes you better than someone that doesn't have your particular or a particular religion, I think is a myth. I have a very strongly held belief system and behavior system about respect and trust and fairness and those kind of things that I've had for a very long period of time and has often put me in conflict with things that I've been in a situation to affect or been asked to do, and in which cases I will not do them, sometimes to my economic detriment and what have you. But if I did do them, it would fundamentally undermine my belief in who I am. And I don't need a church or a book or anything like that to tell me who I am and to tell me whether or not I'm a good person. Um, and, and I think there's this idea for people who like a religion, like a church to provide structure and tell them what to do, that they get very uncomfortable if they're suddenly asked to make up their own mind. But making up your own mind is actually the only real freedom you have. I just want to clarify on a point. I agree with everything you said, but just to clarify, you didn't magically come up with your belief system. You did intake multiple books, multiple authors, multiple sources of information, experience. And personal experience. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you were able to think about them question them and you were able to build this yourself not easily i imagine but probably through some error uh at some point maybe one <laughs> uh, but there <laughs> but it's it's that idea that to do it that way is harder because you have to own those decisions as well mm -hmm. whereas if you're just saying ah i found it here's the one source and if I just follow this, I don't have to do anything else. There's some advantages to that because you don't have to take as much ownership in it or think about it too much. You can consider it. You can think about it a lot. But if you're only choosing one source, I, I feel like you're limiting your experience. Also, it's not hard to make a choice to not be an asshole. It is not hard to work out what it takes to be a good person and a strong person. Because I think a lot of people go, oh, that's all wishy-washy. If I'm, I'm just allowing myself to, to flow on the, the, the waves of behavior. And I remember when I got to the UK and, and uh, I was chatting with some of my new friends at that point. And uh, I was only a couple of years older. I was probably like 20, I was 25. They were probably like 21, 22. And I asked them, I thought we were talking about, and I said, and they were, they were having the conversation about what would you do if you knew you could get away with it? And I went, well... I still have to look at myself in the mirror in the morning. And that is a really simple thing. Is like, can I look myself in the eyes and go, you are true to yourself. And they were, they were like, oh no, I would, I would, you know, yeah, I'd steal, I'd do this. I'd, you know, if I knew I could get away with it, you know, because, you know, why wouldn't you? And I said, well, what do you believe in? And they were stumped to your point is that, and they said, well, what are the things that guide your behavior? And their, their basic response was that, well, you know, 
what society will allow me to get away with. And I went, but have you, have you decided your own rules? Have you made your own mind up on anything? And they were just like going, not really. And it was, it was kind of unusual because this was a very well-educated group of, of young people. And, and I was just like going, whoa, this was, you know, this was not, the, not what I expected from the cream of the crop of, of British society, or well, certainly just a bit under it. You know, they didn't have like no chin and buck teeth and all the other things that, that the British nobility tend to have. And I think their view of me was very similar. It's, it's like, well, how do you arrive at that kind of strength of conviction? You know, because, you know, we're just going along. We're just going along, following along what society tells us to do. You know, go to school, get a boyfriend slash girlfriend, you know, go to university, you know, drink a lot, get a degree and, you know, stay with the herd. And none of them were particularly religious. So... They were just going with the flow. And I just tend to have higher expectations of people. And I think generally the 90% of humanity can do better than that. So it's interesting. It goes back a little bit to the, the social contract conversation, right? Because, you know, I'm sitting here thinking like, we got a chicken egg thing here because while people aren't religious, they still adhere to this moral code that is grounded in, you know, centuries and centuries of, religious based social contracts. And, and to some of, some of that goes to the idea that, right, we're tribal and hunter gatherer tribes. And if you did something that was uh, offensive to, or, or detrimental to the tribe, you, you were ostracized and that those two things go very hand in hand. Right. But, you know, at some level, I think all, a lot of our, our general moral code is tied very closely to the religious underpinnings of society but like which came first, right? Mm. Was religion, and, and I'm going back, you know, pre-Christian, pre-Judeo-Christian, pre, sure. you know, pre-historic religions or, you know, new world religions, people in disparate parts of the world that were untouched by Christianity for millennia still had gods and belief systems with religions that were used to lock down those social contracts and, and make sure that people behave well. So to talk about your friends who weren't religious, but still ha- adhered to these moral codes, it's, it definitely, it does come to some sort of chicken egg question. Mm. And, and I, I, I love the prehistory aspect because I, I, I think there's a reasonable argument to say that organized religion and taxation appeared at roughly the same time. Um, and, and just when you, when you go back to like some of the oldest, like permanent records back in Mesopotamia were taxation and land records. Some of the earliest, like, uh, structured religions also came from Mesopotamia at around the same time and around, around the same cultures is, is that when you start did to they, stratify, hmm? did they though? I mean, we, we had Mayan cultures and Incan cultures and that was you know, so, so at, that's at or around the same time. Uh, actually, uh, about a thousand years earlier, for about two, actually two thousand years earlier, for the Mesopotamianic uh, hmm. civilizations. Um, if if there's a a professor of ancient history who's listening, feel free to correct me on this one, um, uh, and I'll probably just ignore you because it makes a good story. The <laughs> the the interesting thing Worship is as your communities grow, to, <laughs> this is why the uh, as communities got larger and they needed a stronger social contract that came to the codification of religion and, and or the codification of laws that really were being the foundation of a lot of religion behaviors before pre-laws and the, the codification of contribution, which is what taxation is, was coming around about, around about the same time. So while it's an idle statement, I, 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 I still think it's a, it, to me, it makes an interesting intellectual debate. So I'll join the modern dandies in the future for our episode on taxation um, uh, and representation. In uh, which there might be slightly less agreement than there is on the subject of rules. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, and, and I think, uh, Josh, is, is that it, it's like you know, the chicken egg and the dinosaur. In, in terms of the the evolution of <laughs> my cat's expression of that purpose. <laughs> Welcome back, my cat. My cat went off. We, we, we went to barbecue. 
<coughs> that it, it 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 was a you know I don't think religion like popped you know fully formed out of a book. I think it it evolved along with other social structures in order to fulfill an important role. I just think that you know at you know particularly recently as Mudcat was saying about science and technology and just culture has uh, has evolved beyond the role that religion played in that there are many other informal or even formalized laws and things that established acceptable forms of behavior that have essentially supplanted the need for religion in its historic and cultural context. I think religion, as a, as you say, as a, as a community thing, is perfectly fine. It, it's just as a form of social governance and uh, uh, contracts, it, it's, 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 it's well past its, its prime. And, and as a means of redistributing wealth, I think it's, it's obviously a failed in, in, the, in the modern era. So I, I want to make one one last point on on, on this because I think we, we've done a lot of beating up on religion and and I don't want people to take the wrong message away from what we're we're saying here and and to bring it back to sort of where we started, which is that there are a lot of people who do and have over the years used religion in the way it was intended for good. I mean, I look at people like you know Father Bob Dryden, who was a, a congressman from Massachusetts, uh, you know, in the sixties and seventies. Uh, he was a Jesuit and 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 lived that and brought that to policymaking. Look at, you know, Martin Luther King, very obvious, right? He always talked about the theological underpinnings of, of mm. what he was doing and of the, the fight for equality. Abraham Joshua Heschel, who was a rabbi who was born in Europe, moved, moved to the U.S., was right there as part of the civil rights movement and was really, I mean, he was first and foremost a rabbi, a spiritual leader, but he was, he was looking to do good. Look at what Muhammad Ali did during the, the Vietnam War, guided by his faith. There are good aspects and good people who are, are religious. You know, I think part of our responsibility as, as humans is to question where those people and where those tenets don't live up to to what they're supposed to be and where people are, are, are perverting them. But I don't want to leave people with the the impression that we're all, you know, a bunch of folks who hate religion, because I, I think we, we all have our, our belief systems. We, we all have some sort of underpinning of, of morality and ethics that, that come from that. And we're also all, as I think we are as people, skeptical and, and, and questioners mm. and, and, and people who want to hold people to, you know, as, as Liam said, you know, you have your own, your own very strong beliefs and, and sort of moral code. And that is in and of itself a religion. Though so it's the ones that, that pervert it that are the problem. And we want you to question us. We want you to not just take our word for it. So if you have questions or comments, please send them our way. We'd love to hear from you. Listener email us at the modern dandy. That life. Thank you. As I walk through this wicked world, searching for light in the darkness of insanity, I ask myself, is all hope lost? Is the only